This is Living Real Radio. Real issues in real time with your host, John Angotti and Greg Walton. Living Real Radio is brought to you by Closets by Design. Imagine your home totally organized. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700. Good morning. Welcome to Living Real Radio. John Angotti here with Greg Walton as we celebrate Christmas this session with our pastor, Father Ed Steiner. Yep. Merry Christmas, boys. And to you as well. Yes. It's an odd Christmas because it's also the fourth Sunday of Advent. Right. It's a church day for sure. So it's like happy fourth Sunday of Advent and Merry Christmas Eve. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's... It, it drives uh, to have Christmas Day and the fourth Sunday of Advent be on the same day. It drives pastors crazy because you still have to do all your Sunday Masses, and people are still required to attend a Sunday Mass because it's a solemnity. And then a few hours later, you're celebrating again because we're celebrating on Christmas Eve yeah. another solemnity. So, uh, But then some pastors will be real honest and tell you they hate it being on the same day because... A lot of people won't go to Mass on the, for both Masses, both days, Sunday and Christmas, so they lose a collection. That's yeah. right. That, yeah. I mean, most yeah. pastors, if they're going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's like, <laughs> I say that in, Thank in jest. Thank you for your honesty, Father. <laughs> well, yeah, it's in jest, but it's, it's true, though. It is. I mean, you know, it's like Christmas is the biggest collection probably for most parishes. Christmas is. Um, surprisingly, even I mean, Easter's big. But Christmas is bigger because I think in the mindset, you know, it's, it's a giving time of year. And people honestly do feel very generous, you know, at this season of the year. They, they tend to be generous with their churches and charities as well. Yeah. You being the history guy, how did we get to this point with Christmas being, uh, you know, about gifts and giving and, you know, uh, I, I really well, don't even know how we got here. Yeah, the gift part comes from the Eastern Christian Church, the Byzantine Church, um, because they, from early days after the empire split, and you have the Western Roman Church and you have the Eastern Church based in Constantinople, uh, all Christians, all Catholics, just a different form of Catholicism, there was uh, always a debate about when do we celebrate Christmas. Well, the Eastern Church celebrated it on a day that already existed, um, that they were already celebrating, and that was the arrival of the wise men, which we now celebrate on January 6th. So with that, that, that notion of giving gifts develops because of the wise men coming and the way you wanted to be Christ-like, you wanted to imitate the scriptures, and so in turn you gave gifts. Now, you know, we run out to the malls, we get on, you know, the internet, we do all kinds of things, and our gifts tend to be things, typically, uh, but in those days there weren't things to give, so uh, more precious than a thing, they tended to give fruit or figs or dates or, you know, things that or expensive and people usually couldn't get hold of. Those were regarded as some of the greatest Christmas gifts. You know, if you gave somebody an orange, that would be like giving them a hundred carat diamond. You know, it's just special. Uh, so, you know, those were more the gifts. 
Interesting, because my, my parents had a tradition of putting fruit up on the mantle. And I kind of wonder, gosh, does that tie into that in some way? Yeah, it's a very, you know? a, a very Eastern Catholic thing that, um, that eventually that spreads into the West as well. Yeah. Fruit is a, you know, it, in the day, uh, let's say when your parents were growing up, now we're talking about your grandparents, you know, between the war and all that kind of stuff, fruit was still very expensive. It was a fantastic gift. Um, and then for kids, candy, you know, was part right. of that. It's yeah. You know, I think about it. Both my parents were alive during the Great Depression. You know, that was their youth. So, yeah, it probably carries into that too, right? It was oh, kind yes. of a special treat. That's probably all of our parents were. <laughs> the grandparents anyway, a, yeah. Yeah, my parents yeah. grew up in a Depression. And, uh, but we you know with the Italians, what we had was the seven fishes. Right, right. And uh, The seven fish dinner. Yeah, and so... Where where I'm from in West Virginia, the Italians always had uh, a basement with a kitchen, and a lot of stuff happened in the basement with the mm-hmm. kitchen. And my father would be down there cooking schmelts and smelling up the whole house, you know. <laughs> and uh, but uh, we never knew why we had those traditions. Is the thing, you know? We would just go through these motions of of it was fun. All our cousins came together. We where we lived, it was my uh, on this dead end street. It was my Father built three houses, one for his older, two older sisters, and the middle oldest sister lived in the middle who never had kids. So that's where everybody met was that aunt. And the food was off the chain. Mm. But we never really understood the traditions, and I never really questioned them until they were gone. And then you wonder why you never asked them. Yeah. And then to come find out it was a, it's about the seven sacraments and uh, all that kind of stuff. Was but, these fish different? Was it a different kind di- of fish? It was different. You had bacala, you had schmelz, you, could, you had shrimp. You know, we ate all the shrimp, some of the stuff we didn't like, some of the fish dishes that they'd have. But, yeah. you know, it was all spread around there with an enormous amount of pastries. They would make these things called frites, and it was fried dough that you would put, it would go down in grease, like in a pot of oil, and they'd dip the dough, they'd make it like in a circle, dip it in there, and then as soon as it come out, it went into uh, powdered sugar and covered in that, and then, yeah. Well, today we call Krispy Kreme. Oh, <laughs> without the middle. <laughs> without the middle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They still sell them in my hometown in West Virginia. They have big free teas. I mean, they sell them by the bags. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and yeah, the donut is um, not an American invention. It, it was brought to us. Oh, who brought it? The Italians. Of course. I thought it might have been the French since they have the... What's the pastry down in, in New Orleans? The uh, beignet. The beignet. Yeah, yeah, the French don't fry things the way we do here now. Uh-huh. But uh, it's, it is sad that uh, so many people don't realize the origin of the traditions we have. Uh, and they become, the traditions become so much more meaningful and rich when we understand, you know, why we're doing th- these things and, and how... So many of our Christmas traditions are religious in origin, and unfortunately, have been kind of, you know, as we forget why we do these things, they, the religious meaning behind some of our traditions get lost, and, you know, so the symbols get separated, you know, from their traditional religious meanings. Um, you know, when I say that, you know, it's a, a tradition to put a wreath on your door at Christmas time. Well... That is a really old Christmas tradition, and it, it, it really dates back into Germany. 
um, and not just Martin Luther, but Martin Luther really um, made it popular. But in in Germany, what they put on the door was not a you know a beautiful wreath made out of pine or this or that. It was always a holly wreath, you know, with this little sticky leaves. Oh yeah, and uh, and for them, the purpose of the wreath was to remind them of the crown of thorns. Just about everything connected to Christmas is somehow oriented toward the passion and the death of Jesus Christ. Um, we were talking off air about um, you know the, the Christmas stories, the nativity stories, and Matthew and Luke. Uh, they were written after the Gospels themselves were written, but they were written to be sort of preamble, sort of a prologue, if you will, or an introduction. And almost everything in those stories are revealing about what is to come, which is the, all the Gospels are focused on the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So, you know, picking up with that, it was easy for them to look at the, the holly wreath as, you know, as a, a symbol of the crown of thorns. And then they would attach a red bow and the bow was always at the bottom. You know, sometimes people bows at the top. And all that. But that red bow with two streamers mm-hmm. was always at the bottom. And that red bow was to remind us of the blood and the water flowing from the side of Jesus. Wow. So that, you know, the, the, the Christmas wreath, again, it has its origins in, in you know, our Christian, Christian faith. Now, people make wreaths out of all kinds of things. They're, they're kind of decorations now, but I have several friends that they absolutely won't put anything on their door other than that holly wreath with the red bow and the red streamers. They want to, because they know where it came from, so they want to keep that tradition. Cool. I was just thinking of a, a, of a hymn, of a song, Christmas song. Are we? I was just thinking about when I was a kid and my aunt had a holly tree and how prickly it was especially when the ball would go underneath the tree and you had to go get the ball and somebody had to designate to go in there and get all punctured by the by the holly tree yeah those those little red berries uh, they would remind people of the little beads of blood on the crown of thorns right wow so again you know crawling under there getting scraped up yeah i I never realized that that's a beaut you know what that brings a lot more meaning to the wreath Oh, yes. Yeah. But I would say nobody, like, I, I didn't put a, my wreath out on my door. I'm going to go home and put my wreath out on my door because now I know why I put my wreath out on my That's door. That's an ancient Christian symbol. Yeah. What you got, Greg? Well, what I have is uh, the holly and the ivy. And uh, this is the arrangement uh, sung by uh, the choir of King's College in Cambridge. So All right. got a nice choral arrangement of it. Okay, here's the Holly and the Ivy. You're listening to Living Real Radio on Hippie Radio 94.5, brought to you by Closets by Design. We'll be right back. The first three songs featured on our National Hippie Radio broadcast cannot be on our podcast, but you can find links to them in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Living Real. Imagine the clutter in your home gone. Imagine no longer needing a junk drawer. Imagine everything put away in its place. Imagine your home totally organized. Let the professionals at Closets by Design organize your home, office, or garage. They're experts in space management and specialize in maximizing the space that you already have, whether it's your closet, office, pantry, or garage. No space is too big 
or too small. Call locally owned Closets by Design for your free in-home no-obligation consultation. Find out how you can save 40% off their everyday low prices and get free installation. Call 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700. Or online at closetsbydesign.com. Welcome back to Living Real Radio. Greg Walton here. Co-host John and Gotti, you're back from the road. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a good tour. 16 shows we did in 21 days. And then the final event was here Friday, which is going to, this is Thursday, so tomorrow night. But it'll be Friday. And uh, to, to me, it's very symbolic to come back because it's the parish uh, concert where I reside you know it's like coming home to family and and uh you know it, there's a lot of people involved it's not like my christmas show it's our christmas show mm-hmm. you know and that just means a whole bunch because that's what it's all about it's all about family and so it really means a lot like this i'll probably tear up in this concert and so you can hear about it on the next week but yeah because <laughs> yeah and father ed's the mc so we'll see and Father Ed Steiner, pastor here at St. Philip, is also our guest on Living Real. And, mm-hmm. and, and we've been discussing Christmas traditions, and we just played the Holly and the Ivy. And if you're joining us, um, part of the reason was that is we've been talking about the origin of a lot of our Christmas customs, which come from a place of faith, and that the Christmas wreath was originally just made of holly. Um, and so we play the Holly and the Ivy because the uh, the leaves and the berries actually symbolize Christ, the crown of thorns, the, the berry, his blood, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, and the lyrics reflect that as well. You know, the holly bears a blossom as white as any flower, and Mary bore sweet Jesus Christ to be our sweet Savior, um, you know, and the rising of the sun, the running of the deer, the playing of the merry organ, sweet singing in the choir, you know, that celebration. Speaking of traditions and people uh, sometimes not understanding traditions, there is uh, maybe a misunderstanding of why December 25th is the day. Uh, yes, that's... Uh, so many people, because it was sort of the, uh, one of the Christmas myths, was December 25th was chosen because it was a Roman pagan celebration day of Saul Invictus, uh, the conquering son, uh, meaning Caesar is God. But the, the church... The church, which oftentimes will take a pagan celebration and, as we would say, baptizes it and, and turns it into a Christian festival rather than an original, original pagan festival, you know, so, well, that's what the church did with Saul Invictus, which was December 25th. But that process of baptizing things didn't begin until the 5th century. And, you know, we were celebrating December 25th by the 4th century. Uh, and so that, that process didn't happen. But for theological reasons, um, those people were doing theology, trying to figure things out, trying to symbolize things. And prior to the date of Easter being set on the lunar calendar the way we do today, the, they had a fixed date of March 25th. And it was sort of a theological belief, not a historical belief, but a theological belief that Jesus, you know, death on December 25th and then 
March 25th. March 25th. So, you know, they figure birth on December 25th up to, you know, then we have March 25th. Of course, you've got to kind of reverse the calendar to make that work. But that's why the date, the nine-month separation. So they thought that, so they thought that uh, right, because it coincided with his conception, Correct. the Easter celebration. Right. So we have the incarnation, we have the resurrection, um, and so they counted nine months after that. Yes. And that's how we got December yeah, March 25th. March 25th, we celebrate um, the feast of, well, the incarnation. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and, and then um, nine months to the day later, it's Christmas. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so that? the uh what's the incarnation date? We celebrate March twenty fifth, right? March twenty fifth. Right. Yeah, March twenty fifth. Yeah, it's a, But that used to be the, the fixed date also for right, for Easter. For, for yeah. a Good Friday. Or, for Good Friday or for for Easter Sunday? Because yet it was or this uh it was for the death, so it would have been Good Friday. Yeah, oh, good, Friday. good Friday. Okay. Yeah, March got it. But now hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. Okay. March twenty fifth couldn't always fall on a Friday. Right. It so was they didn't. Date. So they. So Good Friday wasn't always on Friday. Correct. I guess. Yeah. They didn't wow. Call that would it, be confusing. They didn't call it Good Friday. So it's Tuesday. But hey, it's Good Friday. No, it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's Good Tuesday. Yeah. The. <laughs> it, yeah. It took a while for the the dates to develop. I would uh, say that was probably a problem. They were like, was. "Hey, we better change well, this up." And of the what we Catholics call the Triduum, Good Friday, Holy Thursday, Holy Saturday, uh, the first of those dates to be to be set was Good Friday, and then the others came later. Hmm. Uh, and then they got in, the whole church got into a debate on when to celebrate Easter, and they decided to fix the date according to the lunar calendar because that's how the Jewish months were done. Mm-hmm. And so given some little hints in the scriptures, you know, they reasoned out by the lunar calendar, this is when we're going to celebrate yeah, coinciding with Passover and everything. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now Christmas has become kind of a universal time for giving. Correct. You know, so not just Christians celebrate, but other faiths mm-hmm. celebrate just the giving of, you know, they've kind of jumped in on the... Yeah, it's, there's the, a, a great show on television. Well, it was on television. Again, I'm sure you can get online. Uh, it was a movie about um, Charles Dickens, and the title of it was The Man Who Invented Christmas. Well, Dickens was a man, all of his writing deals with some issue in social justice, and he abhorred the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in England. Uh, He deplored the way if you were poor, you were sent to a workhouse, you know, you were sent to prison. Uh, he just deplored all of that. So as he began to write Christmas Carol, he's dealing with a lot of those injustices. And, uh, you know, Scrooge represents for us kind of what, how Dickens saw modern England at that time as not caring, not being religious, you know, all about the money. And so Scrooge becomes a stand-in, and then, of course, we see his conversion as he comes to realize what Christmas really is. Now, I read a fascinating article just a couple weeks ago uh, about if, if Scrooge is 
this, if the ghosts sort of represent the Trinity, which is where Dickens kind of pulled the ghost from, from the Trinity, well, then what about the Christ figure and, and, and Christmas Carol? And this writer, the one I read just recently, he identified the Christ figure as being Tiny Tim because it was through Tiny Tim that Scrooge starts to melt and, and Scrooge's heart starts to change when he sees this innocent boy who's crippled and, and he finds out the little boy's going to die. You know, that, that is what begins the conversion process of Scrooge. And, you know, Tiny Tim, you know, here's a kid that's crippled, but he's the most pleasant person in the book. He, he's nice to everyone and, you know, God bless us, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, and it, like, I've made a life study out of Christmas Carol. It's just, to me, yeah. one of the greatest works of English literature. But Dickens himself um, used a lot of the things that were sort of done in England at the time and popularized them. And, and so, you know, the meal, all of that stuff, um, you know, in many ways, it, it goes back to Dickens. And, and this is how we celebrate Christmas. Um, because it, that's not exactly how it was done prior to him. And people did not get off Christmas Day. You know, Bob mm-hmm. Cratchit has to ask. Scrooge is furious about uh, that him not coming in. And, and uh, it, it, so, it, you know, all of this development. Um, and then, of course, there's this wonderful s- scene at the beginning where nephew Fred comes in and he invites Scrooge to his home. Scrooge refuses to go. And, uh, and and Scrooge says, you know, all those people going around with Merry Christmas on their lips, you know, it better that a stake of holly be driven through their hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that reference to the holly again. And then, of course, one of the most beautiful odes to Christmas is Nephew Fred talking about Christmas, you know, being a, a warm time, a happy time, a time when we see each other as fellow travelers on a journey mm-hmm. to the grave. You know, uh, and he says that in a way, not in a fearful way, but in a in a really good and holy way, uh, which kind of summed up the way Christianity really viewed our life on earth, you know, as a journey, as a pilgrimage. Yeah. Mm. Is uh, there's similarities between Scrooge and the Grinch, isn't there? There are some. John's there. pointing at me. Yeah. Gray's got his Grinch pants. I got on my today. Grinch pants on. I got my green pants. Got my red sweatshirt. Yes. Well, you know, Christmas time for folks, um, talking about losing the meaning sometimes. You know, it's easy to lose the meaning when you get wrapped up in the economic side of of things, you mm-hmm. know, that we've really turned uh, Christmas into a, the, the time when uh, businesses and economics flourishes. You know, everything's based on Christmas sales. You know, if you have a bad Christmas time it's going to ruin your stock or whatever it's going to be and oh yeah yeah it's like you know why can't we have christmas all the time why do we just wait till then to give gifts you know that's exactly right you know why do we wait to tell the world how great someone has been why do we wait till they die you know why can't we pass out the accolades while a person's still alive mm-hmm. uh, you know and- what, what is that in us you think what is that that causes us to not have that generosity that uh, awareness that, you know, it's like we're constantly living in Advent. It's like our lives are an Advent of what's to come. You know, you can see the wars, the hate, you know, all the things that are going on that drive us crazy. 
that we live in like this advent waiting for God to come back to the second coming of Christ to make everything right. Mm. But in the meantime, you know, we hold on to this hope each week when we come to mass to become what we receive so that the world can have hope as we continue to wait. Yes. And, you know, as the, well, I was at um, Cracker Barrel the other morning and all the Christmas stuff is shoved onto like one or two shelves and they have hearts and February Valentine's oh Day stuff gosh. up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, how quickly we move on. And, mm. you know, there was, you know, there is this song, the 12 days of Christmas and those 12 days of Christmas are not before Christmas. They're after Christmas, you know, the, yeah. they savored the celebration. They lived it. Uh, and, you know, we can't wait to, you know, we get sick of Christmas carols by three o'clock Christmas afternoon. Yeah. And don't want to hear anymore. Yeah. It, that, that's so true. It's like, you know, two days after Christmas, I, I, I'm ready for the rock and roll. Yes. You know, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, in the church mind, the Christmas season does not end until the baptism of the Lord. Right. And then, of course, in the middle there, we have uh, Epiphany, which, right. you know, very much part of the celebration of, of Christmas. But, yeah, we, we move on too quickly. That We don't, you know, we've forgotten how to savor things. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if we can reinstall that somehow. I don't know how, but maybe work on it somehow. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I got an inkling that we're going to be playing the 12 Days of Christmas. We are. I'm looking ahead. I was trying to see what uh, what some of the recommended versions are, and actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, Jimmy Buffett has a version of oh, the Twelve Days of yes, Christmas. Yes, in honor of Jimmy Buffett. God yeah, rest his soul. Yeah, yeah. Great. So here we go. Twelve Days of Christmas. Jimmy Buffett's rendition. You're listening to Living Real on Nashville's Hippie Radio, ninety-four point five, made possible by Closets by Design. Welcome back to Living Real Radio. John Angotti here with Greg Walton and Father Ed Steiner, who's the pastor here at St. Philip, as we are talking about traditions of Christmas, because this is Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. December 24th, but we're also celebrating the fourth Sunday of Advent for those of us who are working many Masses today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. It is, yeah. But yes. it's okay. It's okay. This fourth Sunday of Advent is the, the reading is Mary. The yes. angel coming to and, and she says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Be it done unto me. Yeah. She gives God permission to work through her. It's, it's amazing. I don't know how much people think about that without Mary, there is no Christmas. You know, without Mary, we don't have the incarnation. And, you know, the incarnation is not a one-time event. You know, it happens, for those of us that are Catholic, it happens every Sunday in us. In us, that, we, that incarnation happens that, you know, that's part of this Eucharistic revival that sometimes I think misses it, that point. It does. It, it, we, we become, um, it's, it's going to sound very sacrilegious to some of our very Catholic listeners, um, but we almost turn the Eucharist into the host, you know, with adoration. We almost turn it into a thing. Yeah. And we forget that it's a person. And the whole point of communion is becoming in communion, communio, with the person of Christ. And the consequence of that is that as we proceed to that altar, we receive the body of Christ. As the congregation, we become the body of Christ right. by being in union with Christ. And, uh, and it's great that, that people 
have the piety that makes them want to do Eucharistic adoration and all those things, but devoid of that sense of the person of Jesus, uh, you know, calling us to be something else in the whole purpose of reception. Um, you know, if, if, if we, if, you know, no one purposely reduces the Eucharist, the host, to a thing. Yeah. But effectively by our behavior, because all behavior, all gestures, they're all symbolic. But ultimately through the way we react, that it's almost like we're making a thing out of it. Yeah. Um, where, you know, we're called to the deeper realities. And, you know, that's why, we, you know, we've been talking about the Christmas traditions, you know, getting it to the, the deeper realities. Um, now, the, the, the writing of the Gospels, um, Luke and Matthew, like I said, they were written sort of as introductions to the Gospel, and almost everything in these uh, introductions, these nativity stories, uh, they all point us toward what's going to happen, the death of Christ. Uh, you know, our whole faith is based on that is what forgave our sins. Uh, you know, that's why we keep the body on the cross. You know, yes, we believe in the resurrection, but the resurrection doesn't make any sense without that sacrificial death because uh, that's what it took to forgive our sins. Um, so many people, Catholic or not, you know, they put a manger in their home, a creche, and uh, for the longest time, I had neighbors who were of a different denomination, very strict. Uh, they thought it was just idolatry to have a manger scene in your house. You know, it's just a Catholic thing. You shouldn't be doing that. But it's getting to where more and more and more people do that. You know, uh, many, many of our brothers and sisters who in days gone by would have rankled at the idea of a manger scene. Well, what's plastered up on the side of their church, they're acting it out. You know, they have kit, you know, they have the pageants. Um, but the what a lot of people don't know is is where that tradition comes from. And it actually comes from St. Francis of Assisi, that he um, when he was in the Crusades and he was in Jerusalem, he at the time people acted out not only the the death of Jesus, the passion and the death. So St. Francis also gives us the stations because he brought that practice of walking the stations through Jerusalem, brought that uh, practice back to Europe. But also he, he fell in love with the whole notion of the nativity and saw in Jerusalem that many Christians acted out the nativity, the gospel stories. Hmm. Uh, and, and so he brought that practice back to Italy, and, and from Italy it spreads everywhere. Um, but what's interesting, you know, we think of the inn, and, and Mary and Joseph, there's no room for them in the inn. Well, they are not, um, you know, they're not turned away. That in all likelihood, first of all, there was no such thing as an inn, motels, and hotels, Inn was yeah. a place where you went and you got food. That's what and drink. That's what you did at an inn. But you know, we know that Joseph's family is from Bethlehem, and because of the lineage that Joseph has, and so a lot of scholars today theorize that it wasn't so much that they were turned away from anything, and it doesn't. And nowhere does it say they were. We're kind of stuck with this word inn, but in Greek, it is. 
the Greek of the day, we wouldn't really translate it into "in." The word that Luke chooses chooses to use in, in Greek it means hostile. You know, like hostels we have today, where a lot of people share a place, uh, and you know, in, in Jesus's day, that's kind of what you had to do. Uh, and so, there, there, when it says there's no room for them in the inn, we have to remember there were no cell phones and text and emails, so. There's no way Joseph's family would have known that they were that Joseph was returning to Bethlehem to be with it. Of course, Caesar ordered a tax. You had to go back to your home city. So I'm sure Mary and Joseph were looking forward to staying with some of Joseph's relatives. You know, guest rooms were either the roof or maybe a supply room or something. With all of the people moving around at that time, you know, the, the relatives just couldn't take them. You know, there was no place to stick them, you know, so, you know, we get that uh, no room for them in the end. Uh, and the word manger uh, comes out of the Hebrew, goes to the Greek, but in French, we use crash, but the word manger means to eat. And uh, it, animals weren't kept in barns or, you know, they weren't kept other places the vast majority of time, people's animals, unless it was a big flock of sheep or a bunch of cows, uh, they kept their animals on the first floor of their homes. It, it um, protected them from theft uh, and predators, but it also got them out of the cold. So every family you know, that had animals, they would have had multiple mangers that had some outside for the animals to eat, but also on the inside. So you know, Mary has access you know, to, to use that. Um, it, it's interesting that, you know, we think of them being a poor couple, but there's nowhere in the scriptures that say they're poor. They obviously had the means to travel, you know, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, no easy journey. But the, the only reference that you can point to is that when they went to the temple, you know, to, um, dedicate Jesus, the gift they gave was two turtle doves, and that was a gift. If you couldn't afford to give the priest of the temple an appropriate offering, you could give them two doves because they were virtually nothing. Uh, you know, you buy them from the people out in front of the temple. Um, you know, so that, but, you know, as Luke says that, uh, you know, he's he's trying to paint it as, you know, Jesus is, he came for a specific group of people. Um, and it's interesting. People tend to blend the two stories. Um, you know, in, the, in Luke's story, there are no wise men. That's in Matthew. And um, the, the ones to whom the angel in Luke, the one who said, you know, identifies the birth of Christ, that is given to the shepherds. And the shepherds were not viewed happily um, there are two kinds of shepherds, those who own the flocks and then those who take care of the flocks. And these would have been the kind of shepherds that took care of the flocks. Well, they were looked down on, one, because they were working. They couldn't keep the Sabbath. That's bad. Uh, they probably did not go to the synagogue, you know, to pray with all the other men of the village. So that was bad. Uh, and many of those shepherds were known, you know, if the wolf comes and, uh, you know, or another predator, they ran. Forget defending the sheep, which to contrast that with Jesus, who calls himself the good shepherd, you know, wow. the one that 
stays with the sheep, the one that does not run away. But, you know, so Luke is, you know, he's introducing us, especially with those shepherds' presentation of Jesus. He's telling us who Jesus came for, you know, getting us ready again for the death, yeah. you know, looking forward, looking forward to that death. Does the word Bethlehem mean bread? Little house of bread. Little house of bread. Which how appropriate, you know, for for any denomination that celebrates the Eucharist in any form, whether it's Rome, um, you know, to say Jesus was born in a town that was called the little house of bread. Mm. You know, yeah, and um, as it becomes the bread of life. Yeah. Um, and the reason it was that was the name of the town, that it was a they had a sole industry, and that was to make bread for Jerusalem. So that all the bakers, all of that happened in Bethlehem, and then all the bread was taken to Jerusalem. Man, that's a whole history I didn't have any clue. I mean, I... Yep, and there's a lot of metaphor in that, yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of metaphor. Yeah. Well, Father Beautiful. Ed, what, what is like your favorite Christmas song? Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. Of course, we were just, we just, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I knew that you would ask me, and I would already knew what I was going to say, but it, anyway, don't, people don't need to believe I was smart enough to set that up. But, that but just happened. That just happened. Yeah, that's um, one of those God things. And, yeah, and what I like about it is the song is written, uh, oh, I'm going to forget the, the writer's name, uh, that wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem. The, uh, he wasn't the composer, but he wrote the verses. Um, but he was on a pilgrimage, Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was a lyricist on that. But he was coming into Bethlehem uh, as he was doing a pilgrimage all through the Holy Land, and, you know, a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. That's what he saw. He saw the lit-up village of Bethlehem from a hilltop. And so his his hymn uh, is you know, a reflection what that did for him that night and becomes a profession of faith as well. Mm. Well, how about that? I see that actually, yeah, the songwriters are Redner and Ira Wilson are the composers. What, do you have a favorite version? Not really. I tend to go with the really schmaltzy, do you? sentimental. What do you think about Nat King Cole? He's got oh, a really oh, perfect. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Come All on. right. Bring on Nat. All right, here we go. Nat King Cole, A Little Town of Bethlehem. You're listening to Living Real on Nashville's Hippie Radio 94.5. Happy Advent and have a Merry Christmas Eve. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Living Real Radio as we finish up here on this Christmas Eve with Father Ed Steiner and Greg Walton. It's, uh, I hope everybody has a, a, a Merry Christmas. And Father Ed, as we close out, um, what's your hope for our listeners, for this parish, for... Uh, people that we minister to because, you know, we have these folks that come to our churches and we call them priesters. They only show up on Christmas and Easter. Yes, like the man <laughs> but, who approached his pastor and said, I hate the flowers you use. And, you know, what do you mean that you hate the flowers we use? They're either poinsettias or Easter lilies. That's all you ever have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, you know, Easter, even though that happens, I think it's an awesome opportunity to welcome people home. You know, yeah, yeah, we complain. I, they, people that always sit on this end of that pew, you know, suddenly there's somebody there. But I rejoice, I give thanks that. There's two days, Christmas and Easter, that are so big that those who are marginal in their faith, it's enough to bring them in. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, 
and always hope and pray for those who aren't often at church that they'll be touched in a way, you know, that brings them back and brings them back. Um, you know, John, you were uh, talking earlier. Uh, you know, for me, the gift of Christmas, I don't necessarily want to call it the gift of joy, which it brings joy. It, help us, it helps us find joy because anytime we find Christ, we find joy. But it is a season of hope that it, it's God's way of telling us no matter how bad it gets, I care about you enough that I have sent my son to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about hope and, you know, that, you know, with the coming of Christ, there's a promise that we'll never be left alone again. And, you know, if Christmas can help people grab on to that faith, you know, it can truly, you know, help us, really, really help us. Uh, and, you know, how do we respond to Christmas? Well, we all wish each other a Merry Christmas. Probably what we need to remember, well, people may not know, so they can't remember it. But in England at the time, at Dickens' time, the word Mary meant to be blessed or to, you know, blessed. So to wish someone a Merry Christmas, you were actually wishing them a blessed Christmas. Hmm. You know, and that's what we want people to have is that Christmas truly becomes an opportunity for them to encounter a God that loves us in such a way we, we never truly will understand. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas to all uh, those that are listening and, and to you guys. And Father Ed, you're going to be going to see your family in Florida. I am Christmas morning. That's the first time in about 15 years I will have been at home with my family on Christmas Day. That's a beautiful thing. And Greg, you'll have all your kids? All the kids are going to be under the roof, and I'm really blessed that my mom's going to, you know, be at the house yeah. um, this year. It's nice to have her close. That's great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I'll be celebrating with family on here and then going to Memphis on Monday to see the little grandbaby Wally, whose birthday is the day after Christmas. So. Oh. Great. You know, that's the poor kid that gets, here's your Christmas and birthday gift. You know, that poor kid. But anyway, yeah. he'll get. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they ought to celebrate his birthday on July 26th. Yeah, yeah. My December daughter, 26th. I'm sure she's got a big party planned for a Saturday for him. But sure. anyway. But maybe they should move it back nine months to his conception day. Kind of, <laughs> right? That would be very scriptural. Be very scriptural. <laughs> yeah. I'll let Dominica know. I'm sure she'll, <laughs> she'll, she'll love that. But uh, anyway, you want to give us a Christmas blessing before we go? God, our Father, you blessed this world with the presence of your Son. You even sent angels to proclaim his presence, singing glory to God in the highest. Lord, help us to give you glory. Help us to appreciate the gift you've given. Help us truly to spread that gift to all who need it most. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Let us go forward bringing joy to the world. You're listening to Living Real Radio on Hippie Radio 94.5. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Smile, somebody.
shepherds sing your joyous song. been listening to Living Real Radio, real issues in real time with your host, John Angotti and Greg Walton. Be sure to tune in every Sunday at 8 a.m. to Living Real Radio. Living Real Radio, brought to you by Closets by Design. Imagine your home totally organized. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700.